welcome to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. I'm Drew Carpenter, your host on the podcast for all kinds of ministers and other followers of Jesus who work in relative obscurity. Today I'm with Tim Deal. Tim and I are partners in crime at Koinos Community Church. Um, Tim has spent a good bit of his career working with InterVarsity. Tim is a contributor to our BIC, our, our denominational newsletter, which is a pretty cool thing. And then, again, like I said, we work together at Koinos Community Church, so full disclosure there. For the first time that I've done this podcast, I'm sitting in the room with the person I'm talking to, so that's kind of fun, too. Pretty um, awkward. <laughs> it's a little awkward. We're not sitting that close. We're not yeah. like We're not Mon- Monday night football commentator <laughs> close or anything like not that. At all. Tim and I have worked together here at Coinos for the last three and a half years. Tim, welcome. Hi. It's good to have you sitting next to me. Can you briefly talk to me about what you do at Coinos, but also some of the other ministry and things that you're involved with as well? Sure. Uh, so I... And my title is the Pastor of Community Life, and I do most of the uh, upfront teaching, um, and I do uh, most of our kind of communication, so written and verbal, so I do a lot of the communicating for us. Um, I work with our community group leaders, work with our deacon team, do a lot of the pastoral care and counseling, uh, some of those kinds of things. So yeah, a lot of relational things, a lot of uh, pastoral care responsibilities. Uh, and then I also uh, work as a uh, chaplain with a company about 20 minutes away, doing pastoral care for folks who work for that company. So, Cool. Well, I wanted to, as usual with my guest, kind of get to the struggle of obscurity, maybe isolation that we feel, and ideas you have for dealing with that. Mm-hmm. You agreed to come on the Obscure Pastor podcast, so why would you consider yourself to be obscure? Yeah, I I think uh, I would classify myself as obscure simply because my ministry is not tied to name recognition. Uh, So any ministry that I participate in is rooted in relationship. So people are connected with me primarily through the community that I'm a pastor here. You mentioned at at Koinos Community Church. connections I make in our neighborhood through relationships with our kids and families and friends that I've made. And uh, yeah, so most of what I do is tied to relationships. People aren't Googling my name to find stuff that I've written or learn things about me. Uh, It's very much based on ways that I connect with people um, relationally. When you got into this originally, like when you started speaking at InterVarsity or doing camps and things, did you get a sense that maybe you were not going to be one of those obscure guys like me that doesn't get invited to do that type of stuff? So probably like, well, I don't know if many of us did, but I I definitely started with a healthy bit of ego. So I think I probably thought that I was going to be pretty you know, pretty amazing and that everybody would know me and I'd write books and things like that. Um, And I think, you know, over the years, uh, grew a lot, matured a lot, was humbled a lot, realizing that, number one, there are really great and meaningful ways to impact people 
that have nothing to do with name recognition. Um, and number two, a lot of that, as I said before, was rooted in ego that needed to kind of get rooted out and dealt with. So, so that's been fun. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, okay. Describe <laughs> that fun for me. What do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think just having to uh, deal with the the darkest parts of you that you don't want to um, kind of fess up to, you know. So over the years, having to realize that I did have a healthy bit of ego, and there was this part of me that I never would have said before, but that you know wanted the attention, that wanted people to think I was pretty awesome, and to Google my name, and to uh, you know for it to be about me. And so I would say in some ways, uh, obscurity is a real gift because it's really pressed me on those things and, and forced me to deal with why do I do this? And how do I feel if my my vocation is not one that's going to make me famous or wealthy? Um, like, am I okay with that? And which is, is funny to say, because most people don't even have to wrestle with that question. They're just happy to kind of live lives that are obscure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been something I've had to deal with. Mm. Well, how do you stay content? What keeps you in that place where it's like, uh, maybe you've got a friend that's doing, that is getting recognized. How do you stay in a place where you're just like great for her or him, Mm. but I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm good. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, Good question. Um, I think I have had to develop, and I guess this feels kind of like the thing I have to say, but it's true. Um, I've just had to develop some spiritual practices that keep me rooted in um, kind of finding meaning and connecting to Jesus and um, allowing him to um, ultimately be the one who... um, directs or, or, or provides that kind of the reason for my being. Um, and so, and, you know, this came out of periods of time and, and partic- a particular period of time um, where I just have dealt with a lot of disappointment and criticism and uh, even seeing people walk away from our church and having to deal with the fact that uh, there is, it's just going to be true that, how I communicate or the way in which I do ministry is not going to resonate with some people. And uh, having to deal with all of the insecurity and stuff that rises up in me when I have people sit across the table and say, yeah, I'm just not, you know, what you're doing isn't doing it for me. Um, And they walk away and kind of having to be, look at myself in the mirror and be like, can you be okay if you're not, preaching to 5,000 people who all think you're a rock star. How do you feel about that? So it's, it's been a lot of work and some of that's been really hard, but, um, along with personal work, there've been people in my life who have been just really important. Um, you know, having people who, uh, I can kind of walk through that with, I mean, you and I have had a lot of conversations about those things. Uh, I, you know, my wife, um, has been a real, real partner in that, um, I have a couple of buddies who I, regularly check in with who don't have anything to do with our church, uh, who I can be brutally honest with, they can pray for me, um, those kind of things. So just being in process and sticking in it and uh, staying connected to God and other people who care about me has been really critical. Mm, That's good. Do you, is it, do you have like false expectations for yourself 
I feel like we're kind of mm. getting to that a little bit in what you've said so far. But maybe it's maybe it's not even false expectations that you have yourself, but maybe other people have placed on you over the years, mm. whether that's somebody yeah. in your family or somebody that mentored you or whatever. And how do you deal with that? Yeah, um, I would say yes to both. So I've had false expectations for myself, and I think other people have had false expectations for me. I mean, I think, and in many ways they're the same, I think I expect that if I'm just good enough at communicating or good enough at being a pastor, um, people will change. And I think, conversely, many people have appointed to the fact that they're not changing to the fact that I'm not, I've not been a good enough pastor. And so I think over time I've just learned that's not actually how people change. Um, Obviously, other people speaking into our lives is critical, and there's lots of people who could point to pastors as having um, really helpful kind of roles in their lives as they move towards change. Uh, But I think there was, again, that was an ego thing. I think I wanted to feel like I was somehow influential enough to change people and wanting people to be able to attribute that to me in some way. And over the years, just realizing like, oh, that's not really how change happens. And um, so I felt that expectation both ways, me thinking that that ought to be who I am and other people being frustrated with me because I'm not causing change in their life. Where do you get inspiration uh, Hmm. to keep going? Hmm. Because it is... Some days it's pretty easy, but a lot of days it's not. And so mm-hmm. what you mentioned spiritual practices, but where do you find something that inspires you? So there's a lot of places, honestly. I mean, I think um, I love, so this sounds cheesy to anybody who knows me, but um, like I love you too. And I feel like every time, you know, there are times when I would just, a certain song, um, Bono's words will just speak to me in a really particular way, and um, I'll just listen to a song on repeat over and over and over again, um, and it becomes almost a prayer. So there are, uh, and it's not just Bono, it's not just you 2 there's some other bands, but there are, music is something that really um, speaks to me, inspires me. Um, I read a lot, um, there's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I really like theology, which is kind of nerdy, but um, reading particular theologians can really inspire me, but Honestly, the thing that most keeps me going in ministry um, is having relationships with people who are not Christians but are hungry spiritually. I have a couple of those relationships right now that every time we have conversations, they're just they just want to they're, they're hungry they they're really asking real questions and they're really struggling with things and it just it just presses me back into the place of like, oh my goodness, this really matters. Like people are really longing for meaning. They really want a genuine connection with other people. And they, this is why the church exists. We don't always do it. And maybe we, we rarely do it well, uh, but this is the thing we're aspiring to. And so the thing that inspires me to keep going back when my ego's bruised or when I, you know, I, I wonder if what I'm doing matters um, is those conversations with people who, um, would not call themselves Christians and maybe would even say they've walked away from faith, but are longing for the thing that I feel like the church has been made for. Um, so, yeah, that, that feeds me and motivates me. Cool. So how do you find yourself navigating 
church life in a very polarized society that we find ourselves in. I really so our denomination, <clears throat> excuse me, our denomination is part of the Anabaptist tradition, which um, has been largely kind of a an invitation into kingdom as a uh, I, don't, I don't know the best way. It, it's like, like not it's not apolitical. It's kind of supra political. Like it's a it is a an an allegiance all its own that supersedes political allegiance. And so I found a rejuvenated sense of um, just connection and grounding in this uh, uh, this language around the kingdom of God and being a part of a kingdom that. Uh, is not again. It's not apolitical. It, it absolutely involves all of the the kind of the the, peop, the things that have to do with people and how we relate to one another and how we live in this world together. Uh, but it's not tied to a particular political party or ideology, and so that uh, that has been refreshing and rejuvenating for my soul. Uh, it is challenging because I feel it on kind of both ends of the political spectrum. I, I have conversations with people who feel like I am not being political enough uh, from either direction, who want me to speak out one way or another and feel that not doing so is an abdication of our responsibility as the church. And so that's challenging because I do think there are things that are really important that we need to talk about. And so trying to trying to figure out how to do that uh, and even wrestle with my own you know, personal leanings, which way I might lean and trying to not project that too much onto how I lead the church. Um, those things are really hard. So I don't know that I have a, a great strategy for that. What we're trying to do right now is press people into what does it mean to be people who really take it seriously to follow Jesus and to be transformed by Jesus and to have your character reflect the character of Jesus. Um, and that if we're doing that, uh, that will impact all the decisions that we're making, um, even what we do in the voting booth. Um, not that there's a monolithic way to do that. I think people can vote different ways and have different political convictions and still be deeply committed to Jesus. Um, but I think that has to come first. That allegiance has to come first. And that's what that's where I'm finding myself now is trying to figure out how do we call people to first pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God, um, and then allow their other allegiances to fall under that, the lordship of Christ. So I don't know that I do it well, but that's my attempt. That's, that's what we're trying. Last kind of serious question. Okay. What advice would you have for ministers like you and for me who do great work? Again, I kind of lock myself in there. I don't know if I do great work, but (laughs) what advice would you have for ministers who might not be getting noticed in what they're doing. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I guess, again, not to be super cheesy, but, you know, if if what we're looking for to affirm our success is large crowds and book deals, then we've, we've developed... We, we've developed a standard for success that Jesus himself didn't use, right? So Jesus was a relatively obscure person in a very obscure part of the world. Um, you know, and this has been talked about by many, many people much smarter than I am. But, you know, this Christianity did not start as this 
huge movement, but this kind of small work of these really faithful people who were willing to sacrifice their lives just to to be about this this new and different kingdom. Um, in fact, it didn't, you know, as many people have noted, it, it didn't really come into prominence until uh, Constantine and the marriage of kingdom and empire and, and all that that brought with it. So I, I think we... I think we need to continue to go back to the Gospels and remember that when Jesus calls us to think about the kingdom, he uses language like mustard seeds, you know, these tiny little obscure things that uh, grow into something that provide shelter even for the birds. Um, and, and so I think we, we have to keep kind of rooting ourselves going back to the Gospels. And we have to have people in our lives who can call us back to that. Uh, I, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for the people in my life who kept me grounded, because uh, it's really easy to just, you know, read that leadership blog and think, man, if I just, if I worked harder, if I, uh, if I just did these, these six principles right, then, then I'd really be successful. And that's, that's what would, that's what would um, make me a good pastor uh, or even a good person. And so it's really been the people in my life who've walked with me and have challenged me to, to think differently and, and helped me to stay grounded. So uh, I would say to anyone, anyone who's in ministry needs people who aren't affiliated with their church. I mean, having good people in your church is obviously super helpful. And you can have people in your church who are both, uh, you know, people you minister to, but also they play kind of a role of friends. That's totally legit. I have that. But I think we all need people who are not affiliated with the church who can, who we can speak really honestly to and who they can speak really honestly to us. Um, and they can keep us kind of rooted in what's true. And so if you don't have those people, you need to get those people. Um, so that would be, yeah. I mean, that's been a lifeline for me and I could probably keep babbling about that. That's, but that's been a big one. <laughs> no, that's a good. Yeah. I, that's much appreciated. I like that. So on a, on a little lighter side, as we kind of begin to close out, you, this already came up, but I ask everybody who their favorite musical artist is. So uh, you kind of you too you did your thing. Yeah. You too you too. So what's your backup plan? Not a backup plan, but uh, who, who, who do I who, listen to when I'm not listening to you too? Yeah, pretty much. Bob Dylan is fabulous. I uh, love Bob Dylan. And what is it about Bob Dylan that you love? Uh, I feel like I listen to his. I listen to Bob Dylan music, and I my typically typically my first uh, response to every song I listen to is "What the heck is that about?" And then I listen to it again, and I say "What the heck is that about?" And then about the thirtieth time, as it's just playing in the background, a phrase will will grab me, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, that is I have to think about that," and it'll just resonate. And so I just I it always causes me to think. It always challenges me in ways that I you know, that I kind of need. Um, he'll often say things that I find are true. Um, his, uh, song, every grain of sand, I go back to time and time again. Um, there's just so many songs. So I think he's a poet. Um, sometimes he, he hits his notes a little scratchy and, uh, you're like, ah, I'm not sure, but he's just so thoughtful. So yeah, I, I love Bob Dylan. Um, Trying to think of who else, if not Bob Dylan. Um, you know, occasionally, depending on what mood I'm in, uh, uh, there's a couple folks like 
Kendrick Lamar is really interesting. He says some. He's got some stuff to say. Chance the Rapper has some really interesting. Uh, like these again are poets. These are people who say things in some really interesting ways that make me think. Um, yeah, I I don't know. The Avid Brothers are kind of fun. Um, enjoy them. And then you know my my kids are really into. I gotta I gotta admit. My kids have got me. We watched uh, Miss Americana, the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix, and that got me really interested in listening to Taylor a little bit more. And we're on a first name basis now, so I just refer to her as Taylor instead of um, T Swift. And well, T Swift or T Swizzle. Yeah, we're not we're not quite there yet. But she she's fascinating. I think you know she's got some fun songs and yeah, whatever. There you go. No, ju- Swift. no judging here, man. Taylor I Swift. <clears throat> kind of my guilty pleasure is I think Train does some fun songs, and every time I say that, people mock me incessantly. They're like, Train? I'm like, yeah, they have some fun songs. Save Me San Francisco is fun. And people are just like, they just shake their head at me, and they're yes. like, who are you? What is that? I am shaking my head right now, but that's okay. Again, I try, try not to judge. Yeah. What I, I'd love to hear something about you that not very many people know. Hmm. Uh, what do not many people know? Uh, I don't like cheese. No, is that that's not that's, that's good not enough. I don't <laughs> like cheese. Uh, lots of people think that's weird, but it's just a thing. Um, what else don't people? So I I moved around a lot growing up. So I lived in. By the time I was twelve, I had lived in. One, two, three, four, five different states up and down the East Coast, uh, probably seven different houses. Um, so just moving was a big part of my life. So I think part of why I really enjoy new things and new people and even chaotic environments is because much of my early years was you know, spending two and a half years in a place I didn't know, getting to know people, building friendships, and then being uprooted and moving to another place and having to make new friendships and um, make a life. And, and so I think that kind of, I actually, I didn't mind that. I, I found that really kind of invigorating and exciting as a kid. Always got me excited to see new places and meet new people. So I think that was probably a really formative uh, thing for me and part of why I really like new experiences and new people and getting to know new people. So yeah, maybe that. That's awesome. And I don't like cheese. <laughs> well, Tim, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being a part of my podcast. Thanks for being a part of my life yeah. and being, getting to do ministry together. It's a lot of fun, and I appreciate you. You're not obscure to me, uh, and I know you're not obscure to many other people as well. And so, <laughs> But I appreciate you sharing with us today, and it's been a good time. Well, I gotta admit, you know, it, it does feed my ego a bit to be on a podcast. I've never been on a podcast before, so now I'm gonna have to go uh, work through this. Uh, You're on a podcast with my every week. Therapist. Well, that's true. That's true. I don't know if Sir, Dave Hershey and I talked about this. Like, does that count, really? Though? I don't think so. I don't know. But I don't get to sit here with this little cool mic and feel like I'm talking to the world. All right. Well, we'll try so to. Here we go. We'll world. try to make sure you can. Yeah, look out, here we world. Are. Here comes no cheese. That's right. You two loving Bob Dylan wearing. Yeah, and we didn't Tim talk Dill. about LeBron James at all. I'd just like to say that name, LeBron James, before we're done. Yeah, that might get added it out, but LeBron we'll see. James. Anyways, Lakers, twenty twenty championship. I'm calling it right here. Okay, I'm signing off. All Tim, right. again, thanks for coming yeah, today. Thanks, man. See it's you. awesome.
have been listening to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Subscribe today and sign up at ObscurePastor.com for my brief weekly e-letter. It's a dose of encouragement and inspiration. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Carpenter. So let's be friends.